We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast The Tom Zimikowski of college football podcasts. Nick Whalen joined, as I always am, by Rotowire's lead college football maestro, guru, John McKechnie. Jonathan, this is our second uh, Monday recap show. Uh, we we kind of started this up mid-season on a whim. Uh, wanted to to break up what had become some pretty long uh, Thursday episodes. Uh, so we'll do recaps on Monday. We'll do previews on Thursday. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about uh, in week 11 of the college football season. Uh, some major dominoes falling in the big 12 uh, we, we got you know business as usual for some top teams in the sec. We got dominoes falling in the big 10 as well. Uh, where do you, where do you want to begin here? We, we, you could, you could point me in any direction in the country and I would say, let's go. Yeah. I mean, it, it there's so much to unpack from this weekend. It, it, you know, we, we might've been, as we, as we mentioned on Thursday, like a little bit light on the marquee matchups, but that just set up for a very fun uh, weekend of college football. And I, I think where better to start, uh, than than Austin, Texas, where where the the Texas Longhorns, whew, what had been what had already been kind of a, a tough season for for them. I mean, losing four straight going in into this game, and it's like, okay, well, it, it's Kansas, right? And and you know, Lance Leipold, good coach, but that simply no, no ingredients there at Kansas to really think that they should be able to to go into Austin and get the win. And lo and behold, they, they didn't just win. Like I feel like a lot of times. When a superior or a uh, severely inferior opponent takes down another, um, a, a bigger team, there's a lot of like fluky stuff that, that's going on. But when it when the final score is 57 to 56, that that shows that Kansas was scoring on you at will throughout the course of the entire game. So like Texas, I mean, that we've seen great coaches have have bad first seasons. I mean, Kirby Smart's first season at Georgia was, was terrible. Uh, they ended up playing in like the Liberty Bowl. Um, I think they might have lost to Vanderbilt that year. Like it it, um, it was... I, didn't Nick Saban lose to like UL Monroe 
or something yes. his first year in Bama. Uh, yes. I mean, th- this seems like a, a potential outlier, though. I mean, this is five straight now for Texas. Yep. And, and you know, uh, unfortunately, Bijan Robinson get, uh, gets an, an injury to his elbow. So he's done for the year. But but really, the, the big thing is, like, if you're Texas, like, you can you can have some some bumps in the road in year one. Um, but I do feel like when when Herman recruited as well as he did, it's not like that's a, a roster that's bereft of talent and you still turn around and you lose to Kansas like that is that's about as as sobering as, as it gets if you're a Texas fan like that things things you think are starting to turn around and they're, they're even worse than you already thought yeah man I mean this is it feels like almost an exaggeration to say rock bottom but because we've been at rock bottom seemingly like five times over the last 15 years for Texas and it feels like we've kind of gone through the same song and dance with like Florida State Florida uh, even Notre Dame at times over over that you know 15 to 20 year time span when seemingly like you know, four or five like major, major programs uh, in college football history are kind of going through this weird same cycle of struggle. But man, I mean, this is this this like feels definitively lower than even some of those other low points. Right. And and you mentioned, you know, this wasn't really a fluky game. And I agree with you. Uh, but you see a final score of 57 to 56. And my first thing is it's like, OK, this had to be kind of fluky. You know, something crazy was happening. These teams combined for 113 points. But I mean, Texas was legitimately getting blown out by Kansas for most of this game. Like, I guess in some weird backwards way, credit to Texas for climbing its way back into this game. Uh, And I want to mention at home against Kansas, uh, which had not won a big 12 road game since 2008. I I even went back in and like fact check that myself, myself, despite hearing it on TV and reading it in articles. I was like, that just, that cannot be right. Like how, how did they not just, you know, pick off one other big 12 bottom feeder at any point in the last 13 years. But man, I mean, this is, this is really, really bad for Texas. And, you know, I, I think it's already, it's already been a spiral really since halftime of that Oklahoma game. But I, I just don't know how you really come back from this, you know, at least for this season. I mean, this, this season is, is pretty much ruined. It's marred by, by five straight losses and this one more than anything. And I mean, this seems like one of those games where you're just going to see like recruiting ripple effects for the next few weeks. Yeah, you, you absolutely could. I mean, we, we've already started to see some programs kind of set up camp in Austin uh, Ohio State, namely, but you know, there, there's a lot of high-level recruits that that are from the Austin area that the Texas, in, in a perfect world, would, would be you know getting without even breaking that much of a sweat. But now you're going to have all these all these other teams coming in, and you know, d- does it get better when Texas moves to the SEC? I, I think not. So I mean, this is, this is you know a, a time period that's very crucial for Texas, and they're, they're really failing. Uh, that test right now. So, I mean, yeah, this will have recruiting implications. You cannot lose to Kansas. I I think that that that's like a level of like toxic loss that, that um, is really going to be hard to move away from. Like you you really don't want to have to feel like you've scrapped or wasted an entire season, but that's kind of where Texas is and and going into next year, you know, the Bijan will be a junior. They obviously still have some talent. They got to figure, they got to figure out what they're doing. Um, at quarterback, but, but all things considered, you know, like Texas does feel like it's still pretty, pretty far away from, from where it was even just a couple years ago when they won the sugar bowl. You know, when a team gets hit with sanctions or there's a major scandal, you know, I'm thinking like Art Bryles, Joe Paterno, mm-hmm. and like the, the program basically gets like all the players get immunity to transfer wherever they want without any repercussions, like losing to Kansas should grant every player on Texas's roster, the ability to transfer with immediate eligibility this coming week. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, that uh, they didn't sign up for that. That is no. not what they signed up for. So that they absolutely should should have the carte blanche to to just go play for mm-hmm. Oklahoma or, or Oklahoma State that here for the rest of the season because uh, Texas not not a safe place to be for them. I, I want to touch on Florida outlasting Samford, not Stanford, Samford, uh, in the same vein here because this felt like it was kind of headed that same direction. And and Florida, you know, was able to storm back and score thirty five points uh, in the second half to win that one seventy to fifty two. Uh, but despite winning that game by 28 points, it still felt like a loss in some ways. Uh, boy, 18 points, not a, not a math guy. Uh, still kind of feels like a loss for Florida uh, to, to have it be that close uh, against an opponent like Sanford. Um, but, it, you know, I mentioned Florida, you know, kind of at the beginning of our Texas talk, like the, these two programs are kind of living parallel lives in some ways uh, with, with the dramatic ups and downs on a year to year basis. But I, it, it feels like right now, especially Dan Mullen is like living week to week with his job. Um, I, I think Sark just by virtue of being there for less time uh, has at least a little bit of a built-in runway uh, as disappointing as he's been, but uh, it, it just feels like, you know, even like series to series, we're like evaluating Dan Mullen's position here. It, yeah. I mean, we, we saw a referendum, like we, we saw discourse on, on Twitter on Saturday that, that was along the lines of, you know, like, well, there isn't a tarmac to fire him on because it's a home game, but can you fire a coach at halftime? Like that, there was that level of discussion about Florida, and to that to that end, Florida has never given up forty two points in a first half ever, and they did it to Samford. Right. Not in the not in the entire history of Florida's program have they given up that many points in the first half. It was insane. Like Florida would start. You know, you see these types of games where where the the big underdog will, will come out scrappy, may, maybe have a surprise touchdown or two, um, but then the other team starts landing some punches and you know the the underdog just kind of goes away. But um, I think there was a kick return for a touchdown from Samford, like right out, like right in re, in response to a Florida touchdown. There was just it felt like Samford w- was game for that one. Like they, w- they wanted it and they were playing extremely well. And and yeah, Florida needed that, that second half rally scoring, scoring 35 points in the second half to, to, you know, stave off what would have mm-hmm. been like just a, just a hor- that would have been the end of Mullen. Like no, yeah. no questions asked. Um, but I don't know what, what you do if, if you're Florida, like you're staring at a huge buyout for Mullen. I think it's like 12 million. And I don't, I don't think it gets less uh, over the course of the next couple of years. So it's like, you're kind of just stuck with it unless you got to bite the bullet at some point. Um, you know, the, the way that he's handled the the media stuff, you know, talking about recruiting or, or refusing to talk about recruiting um, while the rest of his division mates are continue to clean up on the recruiting trail. It's just, yeah, it's a mess for Florida. Last year was, was kind of their shot. They had a very uh, experienced laden team. Georgia was down, Tennessee was down, so that the LSU uh, was down as well, but they still lost to LSU. Um, they just, yeah, I mean, they were a four-loss team, and that's kind of like the high watermark for for Florida right. in like the last decade. That's crazy. Uh, real quickly, we'll just run through a couple of the the top teams in the country who really really don't warrant a ton of discussion uh, because of who was on the schedule here. But Alabama, uh, you know, you mentioned an underdog coming in and being game. You know, New Mexico State forced a punt and then got a field goal. They were up three nothing on Alabama. Um, unfortunately for the Aggies, uh, Alabama reeled off fifty nine straight to win that one fifty nine to three. An impressive enough effort that Alabama now jumps Cincinnati. They're number two in the new AP poll. Um, you know your dogs. We're in a bit of a dog fight early on against Tennessee. I know you predicted that this one 
would be a little bit closer uh, than, than most of the dogs games this year. Um, quick thoughts. You give me like 60 seconds on, on the result here. 41, 17, uh, Georgia goes into Tennessee and gets that win pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was surprised that Georgia deferred um, because I thought that that would have given them an opportunity to kind of take the crowd out of it right away, but they gave Tennessee the ball first and Tennessee, you know, opens up with, with a touchdown drive. Uh, they, they barely missed on a couple deep shots that, um, they, they lost Javante Payton early in that game that, that kind of changed things. He was their big, uh, uh, kind of deep threat guy, but, but no, Tennessee, it was, it was all about surviving the script with, with them because their, their opening script w- was something that totally had Georgia on its heels, but then Georgia, you know, was able to kind of rebound. And it, that was the big thing that me as a, as a Georgia fan wanted to see was the ability to get punched in the mouth a little bit and see what they see, how they respond. Cause they really hadn't been, um, put in a difficult situation since uh, maybe the Clemson game. Uh, maybe that's even saying too much. But either way, you know, the defense ended up tightening up. There were a bunch of injuries over the course of the game. That that was frustrating. But uh, the big thing that, that Georgia kind of unleashed in this game offensively was uh, James Cook. He looked insanely good on, on Saturday. That was probably the best game he's played in a Georgia uniform. So um, that, that gives something – to Georgia's offense that, that they've kind of been missing that Zamir White hasn't had a particularly good year. The run game itself hasn't been all that good, but James Cook is, is going like that down the stretch. Then the dogs are even that much more dangerous. We saw Oregon take down Washington state, uh, slightly more impressive outing from the ducks uh, than we've seen in recent weeks. They're still uh, in the driver's seat very much. So uh, for one of those four playoff spots, um, Ohio state puts 59 on Purdue I think both you and I were skeptical that Purdue would be able to really truly hang around in another game against another top five team. Um, and, and even though they're not that far in the rankings, you know, I, I think Ohio state is in a different class than Michigan state, certainly in a different class uh, than Iowa, but Purdue still putting up 31 points on a good Ohio state defense. Unfortunately they allowed 59, um, <laughs> you know, so the game, but you know, still a four touchdown spread at the end, but our man AOC 390 Ooh. yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, another big game against another big opponent for David Bell, 11 for 103, uh, did not find the end zone in that one. But uh, all in all, like a fairly impressive effort, I thought, for Purdue, uh, even though they had no success whatsoever slowing down C.J. Stroud. Right, ex- exactly. So, you know, if you if you tell a Purdue fan coming into that one that you're going to score 31 in Columbus, like you feel pretty good about your chances. Yeah. But, um, you know, the the return of Garrett Wilson um, after he missed the Nebraska game, that, that gives – the Buckeyes, you know, three legitimate NFL receivers that you have to worry about every single play, along with Tre- Trevion Henderson. That's just too much. Uh, I mean, gosh, Smith and Jigba was was great once again, and and Wilson w- was a total beast. Um, he was a, a slate changer uh, for for DFS. So yeah, that that's the type of of game from Ohio State that I, I think is the type of statement that that goes to show you that. It, Ohio State playing at that level is a team that that is capable of, of winning the national championship or, or at the very least, you know, ma- making the playoff and making some noise um, because that that offense is so electric. I think the defense will, will kind of be the the big story for Ohio State as we get a little bit later on to the, into the season. But when the offense is playing like that, it, it's it's uh, tough to tough to really contend with them. They're, they are just so loaded offensively when they're clicking. Ohio State opens up as a 19 point home favorite against Michigan State uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, we saw Michigan squeak past Penn State, uh, another really close crushing loss for the Nittany Lions. 21-17 uh, was the result in favor of Michigan. Uh, you know, horrible sack fumble midway through the fourth quarter in a tie game for Michigan. 
Penn State goes down, gets a field goal. Uh, Michigan, six plays, 75-yard drive, capped in a long touchdown to go up 21-17. Yeah. Uh, and then they put Penn State out on downs to essentially ice this one. Um, I, I still don't really know quite what to make of Michigan, really, or Penn State, for that matter. Um, I, I would venture to guess you saw a little bit more of this one, though, than I did. So what were your takeaways uh, from Michigan over Penn State? You, it's just amazing to me that we're this far into the season and teams – I, I mean, Aiden O'Connell, or I'm sorry, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, um, and their other edge rushers, names escaping me again. Um, they're gonna they're gonna make plays on, on a given week. Like that's just what's gonna happen. But it, teams just feel like defiantly confident that they can just block these these guys straight up and not bring in extra help, and it ends up costing them because that that pass rush combo that Michigan has is something that can completely wreck your game and and they just did it again they were in the backfield they're getting pressure on Clifford throughout this one um Michigan yeah I think it's fair to say that it, it's it's tough to truly know what to make of them that they they like to play this kind of game they like the, the lower scoring just lean on the run game and, and the defense to get it done and and you know that that keeps them that keeps them winning games but it's not going to beat Ohio State it, it very much makes them like the top of the next tier uh, of teams once you get out outside of like the the truly legitimate playoff contenders and, and one last uh comment for, from this one uh michigan's Cade mcnamara had it had a pretty great line there uh he got asked about the snow coming down um in happy valley and he there's something just very alpha and and uh mean about what he said next he said that was the warmest snow i've ever felt and like th there's just something there's just something to to that it 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 has layers to it. I, re I really like that quote. He's, he's on my radar now. I feel like you could put that over a screen cap from Mad Men and completely convince me that Don Draper said that. That is really crushing. Wow. They, they got just, they got the softest snow at Penn state. They got the right. good dairy and they got the, they got just a uh, snow for soft guys. 31.99999 degrees Fahrenheit snow. <laughs> All right. We saw Michigan state roll over uh, your secondary team. Maryland Terrapins, uh, not, a, not a ton of takeaways from that one. Still a lot to be sorted out, of course, over these next couple of weeks uh, in the Big Ten, particularly in the East Division. Uh, out West, though, Wisconsin, very quietly rolling, very quietly getting no respect, no respect at all uh, in these last few AP polls. They're kind of just hanging out in like the 18-ish range. It feels like I, I don't know what else they need to do uh, at this point. But um, the key takeaway at this point is this is trending toward yet another uh, like Gator Bowl type of season where it feels like Wisconsin probably finds a way to make the Big Ten title game. I have to walk back everything I said the first five weeks of the season, and then they get blown out like 64 to 14 uh, by Ohio State uh, inevitably in that title game. But uh, the number one thing for me here, Braylon Allen is very real. Like we have, we have found the next guy at tailback for Wisconsin, at tailback U. Um, I, I was in a lot of discussions regarding Braylon Allen over the weekend, really over these last few weeks. And really what it, what it comes down to, like everybody that I've talked to is like, this guy just looks like a, a legitimate stud running back. Like Ches Malusi, he was, he was fine. He was fairly productive. He did not pass the eye test in the way that Braylon Allen does. No, that, he is an absolute tank. It's it's like having almost like a Brandon Jacobs in a Wisconsin uniform. Yeah, TJ Duckett, sure. Yes, that, exactly. So like, yeah, that, that's just a large man who can get up to speed pretty quickly. And then once that happens, uh, you're in deep deep trouble and and when you're northwestern and you have the worst run defense in the big in the 10 world. and one of the worst in the country that's a that's a horrible thing to be walking into so i mean it, it did not surprise me at all that that allen just completely feasted 
on Saturday, even though, you know, coming in, he had both his ankles taped the, the week prior, maybe got a little bit dinged up against Rutgers, but yeah. looked no worse for wear on, on Saturday. He just completely like bowled over Northwestern and, and, you know, delivered what ended up being a pretty easy win for the Badgers. Yeah. Yeah. That one was, was pretty much decided um, in the second quarter. And, and like you said, Northwestern is sixth worst in the country in rushing yards allowed. I just under, uh, 230 yards per game. Uh, Arkansas State, if you're wondering, is the the leader by far, uh, by over 20 yards over Missouri. Uh, 265 yards per game, uh, being allowed by our Red Wolves this season. <laughs> T- tough, tough go for them uh, this yeah. year and stopping the run. And and uh, hey, look at Missouri. I mean, uh, right. a couple of weeks ago they were they were dead last by a long shot. But I, I guess yep. they they've bowed up on defense these last couple of weeks against uh, Georgia and South Carolina. Yeah, jockeying for position. I mean, there no other countries play college football to my knowledge, right? So if you're if you're the worst rush defense in American college football, you can claim the title that you have the world's worst rushing defense, right? <laughs> or like the universe's worst rushing defense. Yes, yeah. No, and that that's a crown that you should proudly wear. Um so so right right now, Arkansas State in the catbird seat for that one. All right, let's head over to the Big 12. Uh we, we talked about uh Kansas and Texas. Uh, we, we don't need to to return to that one, we'll, we'll mercifully uh, stay away from that for, for the sake of Texas fans, the rest of the pod. But OK State, 63, TCU, 17. Um, Oklahoma State, John, very quietly sneaking its way into the playoff contention. And, and that was exacerbated by number eight, Oklahoma, falling to Baylor, 27 to 14. Um, and you talk about kind of fluky results. Like I, I clicked on this one and, and I, you know, I'm looking at the box score thinking like, oh, Caleb Williams must have gotten hurt here. Uh, no, no, sir. That is not what happened. Uh, so ineffective was Caleb Williams that we saw the return of Spencer Rattler. Uh, he didn't do much either. Um, he just played a couple of series in the second half. But I mean, this was a game that, you know, these teams played a 0-0 first quarter. After that, it, it really, truly felt like Baylor was the better team. And, you know, they were able to use the ground game 296 yards as a team. He had two two players, Gary Bohannon, um, you know, up over 100 yards. Um, I, I, I still don't know really what to think of Baylor in terms of being a legitimate contender with two losses already, you know, we're not talking playoff, but it, it didn't really feel to me like this was just an off day for Oklahoma. It felt like Baylor was the team that, that kind of went in there and bullied them. Yeah. But Baylor is a very good team. Um, you know, and then you, you look across, like you said, with, with that Oklahoma state result where they just pummeled TCU, Baylor should have done that the, the week before that, that game is what is going to be, is going to go down as one of the more costly losses for anyone this season because if Baylor ends up as a one-loss Big 12 champion, you know that it's a different conversation. But that that second loss, they're they're not going to get the you know the Bama cachet where where they could potentially get in with, with two wins. Um, but yeah, Baylor, you know they very much kind of adopted the the Matt Aranda or Dave Aranda um, just sort of aesthetic. They're 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 not the Baylor teams that we saw in the, in the mid. Uh, middle part of the last decade or anything, but that they'll punish you with the run. And I mean, saying that you can hold Oklahoma to 14 points, I don't care if, if they're having some, some quarterback struggles or not, like that is legitimately very, very impressive for, from their defense. Um, so obviously that they had that dialed up excellent. And yeah, I mean, that they, they do have that, that running game threat with, with Abram Smith and, and Gary Bohannon from the quarterback spot and they have good receivers uh, they got Tristan Abner, who's kind of a do-it-all guy, out of that backfield as well. So they they just had those ingredients cooking, and uh, it you know worked out against Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, you know, uh, I'm not trying to make a bad pun, but they they looked rattled there towards the end. I mean, it it just it felt like they were completely 
out of sorts for a lot of this game. And I think a lot of that had to do with, with Baylor really showing up. Yeah. I, frankly, it's, it's felt like Oklahoma has been overdue for this game. Yes. Right. I mean, they, they've, they've just kind of, they've been teetering all season and I, I think they just hadn't quite faced any, any team good enough really to, to hand them a result like this. And, and Baylor was more than happy to do that. So, so the big 12 becomes really interesting the rest of the way here. Um, you know, Oklahoma with one loss, not out of it. Uh, you know, Oklahoma state firmly in the mix as well. They're at six and one um, nine and one overall, both teams are, but the winner of that game, I think that's in two weeks to conclude the big 12 schedule. Um, we could be looking at a potential rematch in, in the big 10 championship game or big 12 championship game, excuse me, a, a week later. I mean, if, if Oklahoma or, or Oklahoma state, I guess, for that matter, if either team were to sweep those two games, uh, presuming that that is the matchup that we'd see again in the title game, I, you know, depending on what happens elsewhere throughout the country, I, I think either of those teams would end up having a, a reasonably strong case uh, to slip in as, as maybe that third or fourth team. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we'll, we'll see how, how these dominoes fall the rest of the way. You know, like you, you look at Michigan State and Michigan right now, and, and both of them are obviously ahead of these big 12 schools, but you definitely see them losing, each of them losing to Ohio State here over these last two weeks. So that, that knocks them down a little bit. Uh, Notre Dame, you got to figure, will probably just uh, round uh, run the table, uh, finish their season 11-1 and one with, um, and just kind of have to stand pat on that. So um, it, it comes down to, you know, it is a one-loss Big 12 champ that, that like you said, in, in this particular scenario, was able to beat, beat a very good team two weeks in a row uh, to win a conference, a Power 5 conference, that then I think that they would at least be um, in that next two out consideration and, and very much uh, alive for the number four playoff spot, depending on, on what happens with, with Oregon uh, the rest mm -hmm. of the way. Yeah, I'm starting to think Oregon is really going to be the swing piece here because the way yes. things line up, the way things line up in the Big Ten, it's really hard to imagine a scenario where two Big Ten teams are getting in, right? I, I mean, it's yeah, you have three teams right now that are currently ranked five through eight uh, in the AP, but they're all on the same side. You know, you, you don't have a chance to to pick up a win necessarily um, in the Big Ten championship game. Only one of those teams is going to have that opportunity, and you know, no team from the West is really in striking distance of the playoff talking Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Um, so, so I think we're looking at one big 10 team. I think we're looking at Georgia for sure. I, I think, you know, Alabama, I'm starting to think as long as they just play Georgia closely enough, like they seem to be getting a ton of respect, um, you know, in, in the AP poll and even in the CFP ranking so far, um, as long as they don't go in and lose to Georgia by like four touchdowns, I think Alabama's going to be in pretty good shape here. I think there's a lot of respect for the schedule uh, that those SEC teams are playing. Um, and if, if Oregon continues winning, obviously they're going to be in as well. Um, if Oregon slips up, I think that's when, that's when we get the most fun scenario, even though I, I kind of like Oregon, you know, going, harkening back to the D'Anthony Thomas days. Sure. Um, I, I'm rooting for chaos at this point. Yeah, I, I am too. Um, I, I would, you know, just talking about penciling in Ohio state to, to win those next two games. Like that would be pretty wild if they, if they were to slip up, uh, before the end of the season or, or, you know, if Michigan was able to you know, get off their, their almost decade long schneid um, against the Buckeyes. Um, and, th and then uh, Oregon, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week and we'll, we'll get into it more on Thursday, but yeah, I mean, if they lose against Utah, which is very, very possible, I, I think that will happen. Yeah. Stuff get stuff starts getting really crazy. And I think that that, that starts to maybe, make it real for, for Cincinnati that they could potentially get in. Because if you get, if you get enough of these teams 
taking losses towards the end of the season and Cincinnati ends up running the table, then I, I think there is that realm of possibility where they do sneak into like the four spot. All right. What else do we need to hit here? Uh, I think we have a couple other SEC games we haven't touched on, right? Ole Miss 29, Texas A&M 19. Uh, not my finest pick. I, I believe I emphatically uh, took A&M to win this game. Hey, that, that's all right. Um, you know, Ole Miss, I guess, is, is kind of a crazy place to play at, at night. And, and Ole Miss just kind of had it cooking for, for most of the game on, on offense. Pretty impressive. Um, you know, uh, we talked about the total in this one being lower and how that could potentially be something that, that plays into A&M's hands. Like they don't want to get in, into a shootout. They want to just kind of be able to, to play that grinded out style that, that they're very comfortable playing. But they couldn't do it. Um, Zach Calzada obviously thro- throws the costly interception. Uh, they cannot stop Jerry Neely for to save their lives. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a quality win for, for Ole Miss, um, who continues to, to look pretty, pretty darn good there under Lane Kiffin. And then uh, the, other, the other big result, Auburn going down to, to, um, to Miss State, uh, blowing a 28 to three lead, a very Georgia sports thing of, of them to do, but, but uh, Mike Leach did it to him uh, th- this time. Will Rogers was, was totally dialed in. They, they kind of slept walk through the first half with just 10 total points, but then, uh, really lit, lit it up in the second half, 33 total points in the, in the second half. And, and uh, it just felt like this whole, like the dam was breaking, like they just couldn't be stopped uh, after halftime. So that, that was impressive stuff as far as um, uh, the, the two other SEC games. Wake Forest back on track, 45-42 over NC State. Uh, Wake just continues to play like ridiculously exciting games uh, <laughs> yes. on a week-to-week basis. We, we saw three picks from Sam Hartman in this game to go along with three touchdowns. Uh, balls flying all over the place, uh, you know, combined for uh, almost 700 passing yards uh, in, in this game. Unfortunately, it feels like it's all going to kind of amount to nothing. Uh, this, this you know, really fun season for Wake Forest. And, you know, you're going to end up in a a much more prestigious bowl uh, than you're than you're used to going to, which is no bowl at all. Um, but but unfortunately, they're just, you know, they're, they're that that one loss um, really preventing them from making what would be like, like people expected Cincinnati to be in the mix here. But, you know, had Wake Forest... Um, you know, not sustained a loss uh, to UNC, um, we would have we would have like an even wilder case. I think deciding between Wake Forest and Cincinnati to potentially sneak into the playoff. You're right. It, it, what's better, being an undefeated ACC champ this year, or undefeated yeah. AAC champ th- this year? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think the the win over Notre Dame takes the trump card. Yeah, it would. I mean, I, I don't think that there's really been a a, uh, a hallmark win there for for Wake Forest, but that. They have been sort of like America's just fun offense yeah. that this, this whole time. I mean that 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 UNC game a couple of weeks ago, like that totally lived up to it. Hundred points scored in that one. This game, uh, crazy as well. So yeah, that they're just liable to get into crazy shootouts against anybody. They'll they'll give up forty points to Army, but then they'll also score seventy. Like it's mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're a fun outfit there that uh, that Dave Clawson has assembled. How how things go from a DFS perspective? on Saturday. We, we could do a, a little bit of a, a recap in that regard. Yeah, we'll, we'll just uh, quickly run, run through it. So uh, Talia uh, Tagovailoa, uh, I definitely liked his matchup going up against uh, Michigan State, a, a, a pass defense that uh, has been much maligned th- throughout the course of the, of the season. He did okay. He didn't do great by any means, but, um, you know, through for, um, let's see here. 350, pal. A D- a decent a decent number there 350 um again so like that that got you your bonus so he pretty much re- returned value and then if you 
for picking up what I was putting down as far as using that Maryland passing game. The Raheem Jarrett definitely returned value, and um, and Oconquo, the tight end, also uh, played extremely well. So both those guys were really good. Garrett Wilson um, was really strong on Saturday as well. Will Will Rogers going with with the full stack of the mistake guys uh, was something that that ended up being pretty profitable for a lot of people. I picked the wrong running back. I went with Marks, but but Dylan Johnson, I believe, had had the bigger day there. Um, had a couple flops in there as well. Admit, admittedly, you know, it is a process. Uh, you know, I, I I foresaw Stephen Carr being out for Indiana, so I, I liked Childers a little bit, but uh, Childers could not get it going against um against the Rutgers defense whatsoever. And Indiana continues their complete free fall back into um into just being completely irrelevant at, at football now. So that that was too bad, but. Um, that, that, that was pretty much the, the extent of it. And, and I, I think that, you know, like paying up at, at running back this weekend and, and then finding the value at, at receiver, or some of those cheaper tight or cheaper uh, quarterbacks ended up doing well. That my big miss, I would say, was I didn't pay quite enough attention to, um, to SMU UCF. I, I didn't quite have enough exposure to that one. I like some of those UCF guys going into that one, O'Keefe, especially, um, even with Jalen Robinson being back, but that game had a lot of points, and um, I didn't have nearly um, enough exposure to that one. All right, man. Super fun week to recap in college football. We got another good one coming up. We will dig into everything ahead of us in week 12 later this week. We got Michigan State, Ohio State. Um, inexplicably, this is in the early window. Again, I, I don't know why they continue uh, to stack these matchups early on. It feels like this season uh, we get Arkansas, Alabama. Uh, we get. Charleston Southern at Georgia. Uh, Georgia's <laughs> SEC schedule is already done, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, they sit. They sutured up the East after I think beating Florida, mm-hmm. and and yeah, now they they get a. I get to relax now. It's actually kind of nice. I get Char- yeah, right. Charleston Southern and then uh, Georgia Tech to to finish it out. All right. All right. Well, Wisconsin's got Nebraska next week. Um, I think I think they're like ten point favorites in that one at home. This might be the first time all year where I'm like, yeah, that actually makes sense. They should be favored in this game. Like that, that, that they, they've, they've won me over after like now what five or six straight weeks of like respectable football play. It's, it's been quite a run. Yeah. It's uh, it's different than, yeah. Where we were in October, you just be like Wisconsin somehow <laughs> inexplicably favored in this game. Borrow money from your parents, borrow money from your family, bet against the Badgers. Uh, but yeah, that mandate has officially been repealed. Uh, all right, buddy. All right, we'll uh, we'll study up these next couple of days and and regroup for a preview on Thursday. Sounds great. Catch you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.